And as uh, Steph alluded to, the, um, some of us took a time season for running this morning. There's a time for going uphill and a time for going downhill. <laughs> and the time for going uphill was significantly longer. So if I fall asleep in my own sermon, you'll know why. Okay. <laughs> um, so we, yeah, we're welcome back. We've got our series on Ecclesiastes. We're going to, we started that again a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to return to that now. Um, the passage today that Adele has just read for us is one of the best-known parts of Scripture, isn't it? It's a poetic quality. It attracts a lot of people to think about it. And you've probably all heard the song, Turn, Turn, Turn. You know the song? Yep, it's basically word for word from Ecclesiastes 3. And if you're like me, that song will now be in your head for the rest of the week, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. Um, so in all the years since I was ordained, I've probably presided at about 100 funerals, I approximate, and I've found that this text that we've just read is in the top three of passages that people will choose for a Bible reading at a funeral service. And I'll tell you the other top two as we go along. Uh, so keep you hooked. Um, so we're going to think about this passage today and um, then, and what does it mean beyond being a song or a nice poem? And so, as you might know, this is the third sermon we're doing in our series on Ecclesiastes. And if you've missed the previous sermons, um, the book of Ecclesiastes is a wisdom book in the Old Testament. And it asks us to, to reflect on the meaning of life. Given that life is difficult to understand, it's perplexing, um, and the things that we grasp after to give our lives meaning seem to elude us like smoke. And again, we've seen the key word for the teacher of Ecclesiastes is this word, hevel, which is translated meaningless in English translations mostly. But it really means, not meaninglessness as such, but that life is an enigma. It's something that you can't grasp. It's like a cloud of smoke or mist. You try one answer to life, you try another and another and you think you've found it, but then it slips away. And this is what he found. And last time, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the teacher's experiment uh, with trying out whether living the dream or achieving the good life is bringing meaning to life. So the question is, does pursuing success and prosperity bring meaning to your life? And the answer that he gave is that while it's good to enjoy your life, in the end we're faced with the reality that our dreams don't last. Pleasure, money, and all the great achievements of our lives are like smoke, too. They're like chasing after the wind. We live within limits as creatures, which means that the things that we pursue will ultimately disappoint us. We will lose them all. And today, then, the passage from Ecclesiastes 3, it's about a different issue, but it's still quite a similar one. And fundamentally, I think, it's about a tension in our lives that we experience because of the strange desire that human beings have for more than the life that we have can give us. So the key verses here for us today are verses 10 to 11. He says, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. One of the fascinating and distinctive things about human beings, about people like us, is that we do seem to be innately restless and unsatisfied with our place in the universe in the way that other creatures that we know aren't. So if you look at us from the outside, biologically, you probably see a mammal that's quite a, just a little bit smarter than some of the others around, but fundamentally the same as other animals on Earth. But human beings have these grand desires within us that are completely unexpected from animals like that. We want to fly out and explore the universe. We want to build giant towers and discover 
the secrets of subatomic particles, and we feel drawn to know the ultimate meaning of the universe. And you know, we want to live forever. We want to experience perfect happiness and joy. So the question is, where do these desires come from? As far as I know, fish don't dream of being able to fly through the air. They're happy being fish. Um, and dogs don't strive to create the perfect dog food that will allow them to be perfectly satisfied and never hungry again. So one of the most fundamental human characteristics is not being satisfied just being what we are. Um, and that's actually one of the strongest arguments there are for the reality of God and the spiritual world. C.S. Lewis described it like this. He says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Now, whether or not that's proof of the existence of God or spiritual things, it is an experience, I think, that most people have. We want more than our natural lives can give us. And this is what the teacher describes as the burden on the human race. We live in a world where what we can grasp doesn't satisfy us. It is hevel. It is smoke. And one of the things that this does is it makes it hard for us to accept some of the realities of life that are beyond our control. Things that aren't perfect or which are frustrating and discouraging and remind us of our mortality and our limitations. So the first part of the reading from chapter 3, the poem, is about that experience of the tension between what we want and what we have. So what this reading reminds us is that we live our lives in seasons. So there's no such thing for human beings as a relentlessly positive and upward trajectory of life. We are born and we die. Sometimes we're building and sometimes we're tearing things down. We dance, Jerome, and we mourn, hopefully not very often. Um, you know, as we remember today, sometimes a new ministry starts and sometimes it comes to an end. This is a poem that is about recognising we're not in control of the world. Despite our aspirations to greatness, we are still very weak and vulnerable and things happen to us whether or not we want them to. Um, and it's a poem about the pain that causes us, the pain of being human. And that's how it should be read. Even though sometimes when we read it, it sounds like it's saying that there's a time we should do particular things. When I was working with one particular family to prepare a funeral service, we looked at this text and one of the family members said to me, well, I don't agree that there's a time to kill or a time for war. There's never a time when we should be at war. And, you know, well, yes, I said, of course. War is certainly bad and it's not something that we should seek out. But there are certainly times of war that come up there, whether or not we want them to. Um, and that's what the teacher is saying here. War happens even when we desperately strive for peace. That's the way the world is. And the fact is that we have these seasons of darkness and loss, and the fact that that happens is part of the Hevel, part of the enigma or the mystery of the world. We don't live in the perfect world that we desire. And that's the world in which we live. And the teacher of Ecclesiastes would say, this is just how life is under the sun, and wisdom accepts that this is how things are. They come in their season. There is a season for everything. We go through those seasons whether or not we want to. And wisdom is about how do we respond to that. And so what does he suggest that we do then? Famous verse in verse 12, 13, he says, I know there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. Or as many people know, eat, drink, and be merry. And we looked at this idea when we looked at Ecclesiastes 2. So the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is saying, in order to live well, we need to accept our limitations. Don't expect to find overarching meaning in the seasons of life. Accept you don't have control over the world and take hold of the joys and the good things of life when they come to you.
God has made the world, he says. It runs according to his plans, not ours. We're just along for the ride. In verses 14 to 15, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. What has already been and what has been will be before and God will call the past to account. It's his world. We just live in it. And I think while certainly that can be something of a pessimistic view of life, I think that attitude can be healthy, isn't it? It's an acceptance of the way the world is. But that isn't the final answer, he says, because we do have this burden, this burden of eternity in our hearts. And we want more than that. And this doesn't, I think, just come from unrealistic expectations. The teacher himself says that God has placed this desire in our hearts. We desire eternity, and eternity means that when you get beyond the seasons of this world, above it, eternity is completion, it's stability, it's permanence, to be lifted out of hevel and lifted out of meaninglessness into a place or a world where meaning and satisfaction don't elude us and don't go away. God has made us for this, he says. And so we need to deal with this tension, I think he's saying between the seasons of life and eternity. And I think there are two things that we should do with this tension as Christians. So the first, I think, is to have this attitude of acceptance, as Ecclesiastes encourages us. I think we should, not try, we should try not to be tempted um, to try too hard to smooth out the seasons of life that we're given. And one of the big temptations of being wealthy, which most of us are, relatively speaking, is to use our wealth and power to kind of run a bulldozer through the up and downs of life, through the seasons and shape the world to be permanently the way we want, to be up all the time. That's, one of the, that's why people want to be wealthy, I think. And a trivial example of this would be the fact that for us now, fruit and vegetables are always in season, aren't they? Think about the amount of effort, the amount of money that is spent on making sure you can always buy bananas at the supermarket. They don't grow here, do they? There's no season for food anymore. Um, and one of the things that makes suffering and bad fortune so hard to deal with when it happens to us is our expectation or hope that it won't. The expectation we should always be in the good season. And ironically, the better our life is, the harder it can be to deal with the bad things that happen when they do, because they seem out of place. There's a joke that used to, that's used when people in our culture whine about small things. That we, we say we have first world problems. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. So my smartphone's only picking up 3G at the moment, not 4G. Oh. Uh, <laughs> poor guy. Um, the ba- our bakery ran out of sourdough this morning. <laughs> Just before I got there. It's the, life's terrible. It's very frustrating, isn't it? But it's a first world problem. It's not a real problem. Um, I know there's some disagreement here, but, you know. (laughs) Most people in the world and throughout history have had more serious problems to deal with than these, and they haven't expected that life will be completely good and comfortable at all times. So it's healthy and wise, he says, to accept that we will have bad seasons because we will, and we need to incorporate that into our worldview. So suffering isn't good, he would say, but it comes to us all. And verse 4 says there's a time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Most of us are going to be sad a lot of the time. But so much of the money that we spend on entertainment and our addiction to all sorts of drugs and other activities is so we don't have to experience the time to weep and the time to mourn. We just want laughter. We just want to dance all the time. 
And we celebrate birth. We love it so much. But we ignore death until we're absolutely forced to. Um, one of my great struggles as a funeral celebrant is to convince people that expressions of grief, sadness, and loss at a funeral are normal. It's more healthy to do that than just try to celebrate or focus on the good things. There is more, and this is more and more common in our culture. The result of this is that we avoid facing the reality of the world and we don't experience God's presence in those other seasons, in the down times. And I think that's what Ecclesiastes is encouraging us to do. So I think Christians should embrace the whole of life with patience and a trust in God in his presence because he has placed eternity in our hearts for a reason. Life is not meaningless, and suffering can be redeemed, we believe. It can be made meaningful. And so I think that the first thing is to accept life as it is. The second is to anchor ourselves, I think, into the source of certainty that God is actually providing for us of eternity. And we can find this in the second most common Bible reading that I've used at funerals, which is John chapter 14. Because Christian hope in the seasons of life and our etern- a desire for eternity is anchored for us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ and the certainty of his resurrection. So Jesus spoke to his disciples who were troubled and discouraged just before his crucifixion. He said to them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well, and from now on you do know him and have seen him. So it's true. Ecclesiastes is right. We don't know the way we're going to go. We don't know the way we're going to travel to eternal life and what that's going to look like. But Jesus says he is that way and he's gone ahead of us. And so he's made a place for us in eternity, in our true home, beyond the seasons of life. And so I think today as we listen to Ecclesiastes, it's an opportunity perhaps to reflect on what season of life we're in. Uh, what, where are we? And, what, and to realise God is there and Jesus is there with us. You know, you may be up at the moment. It may be great. You may be down. Things are not great. Or you may have thought that you were going to be up, but you've ended up being down. Or you thought things, you know, you can, anything can happen. We've learned that. Or you, um, we never really know where we're going to be. And that's life under the sun. That's the meaninglessness of life, as you would say. Um, but Jesus is with us there. And he came down into the world under the sun. And that's the, that's the promise. But he also goes ahead of us in every season. And he's the hope of eternity for us, even though we don't know what's going to happen on the way. Now, would anyone like to guess what the number one reading is that's requested for funerals? Yeah, you know it. It's Psalm 23, of course. We could, and I think we couldn't ask for a better summary of our journey as Christians through the seasons of life. So as we finish, I want to read it to you. And it may be a word for you today, or maybe for the Dias family in particular, as you go into your new season. So let's listen. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. I'm going to spend some time now in prayer. I think Russell's leading us. Thank you.